0: Filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. If you need legal representation on employment issues, including wage and hour disputes, discrimination and harassment claims, wrongful termination, you need help with a severance package or non-compete clauses, or you just need equal employment opportunity and civil rights representation, general civil litigation, or even defamation, the Ehrlich Law Office has you covered if you are in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia. For a free consultation, head over to com slash filibuster. I'm just saying, it's an antiquated structure that wastes ink, and there's no reason for an Oxford comma most
1: one of the comma is, One comma is... Not that
0: much hate. No, but it is and, a little and, unique, it, and, it and it adds next to no clarity most of the time.
1: It adds plenty You've of lost this. You've
0: lost this
2: one as far as the the blog goes. The blog's position is that the Oxford comma is good, just, and right.
0: <laughs> the blog <laughs> so is wrong on, on this one. Top,
2: on,
1: top of the right.
2: masthead.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're not on the top of the masthead anymore, Adam, so <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: Well, I am going to keep fighting this good fight because the Oxford comma is a silly, antiquated little structure that most right-thinking people, in fact, all right-thinking people, agree is not necessary most of the time and therefore can be done away with almost all of the time. And I will stand by that position. You were incorrect. (laughs) Jason is on point. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from the unfortunate haven of Oxford commas, blackandredunited.com. That's where you can find us writing about D.C. United, the U.S. national teams, and a lot more. We've got a good show for you tonight. We are talking about the U.S. men's national team who are playing, as we record, uh, up in New England against Brazil in an under-attended game at Gillette (laughs) Stadium. Um, We're going to talk about the 2-1 win over Peru. We're going to talk about D.C. United's upcoming trip to the Mile High metro area, I guess. They're not actually playing in Denver, but close enough. They're going to Colorado to play. And we'll talk about the CONCACAF Champions League game against Arabe Unido when D.C. United can clinch advancement to the quarterfinals. So wouldn't that be nice? Before we get to any of it, though, Ben... What are you drinking tonight?
1: I am drinking something really regular and not exciting at all because I had exciting pickle juices in recent weeks and (laughs) did not feel like doing that this week because they ended up being not great over the long haul. So I'm just doing uh, Roman Coke to be just traditional, easy. I know it's delicious.
0: All right. Nice simple highball.
1: Yeah, exactly. What's the rum? Uh, Cruzan. Okay, right. that's a good that's a good rum. Yes, yes, it's a good it's a good uh, it's a good uh, dark not dark rum but a good what is it brown rum that's not the word aged spiced? rum. No, not spiced aged. I guess yes. Okay. Yeah. No, not white rum. White, white white rum is pointless. Don't buy white rum, kids. You can make yeah. uh, mojitos out of it.
0: No, caipirinhas or cachaça, never mind. (laughs) And they're Brazilian, which is evil tonight uh, Uh. or something. (laughs) Um, I I, I feel about rum the way a lot of people I know felt about, and still do feel, about bourbon, uh, which is I drank entirely too much of it in college and cannot handle it now.
1: My, as, as a slight digression when I was growing up my mom would always have a reaction to just the word tequila and she would just go Shh, demon tequila and, and when when she first started doing it I was too young to ask what the story was and now I definitely 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 do not want to know what the story <laughs> is so yes that, that that's my anecdote about Bad reactions to liquors, as regards to my mother.
0: Well, the U.S. defense also has a bad reaction to
1: <laughs> possibly. Ukrainians, uh, yes. who knows? Do they, do they need some tequila right now? They, they, they're
0: going to want to drink some after this one.
1: Um, That's embarrassing.
0: Yeah, that was <laughs> that was rough. Uh, like I said, the USA are playing Brazil right now, and uh, at least two thirds of this podcast are watching it. Uh, on slightly unsynced <laughs> yes. uh, streams, uh, perfectly uh, but, legal streams. But Adam, you, you, you padded it out long enough with your reaction that I got to see what was going to happen. Yeah, I was trying to. I was trying to wait to bring it up until. Yeah. <laughs> until then, uh, Jason, what are you drinking tonight while you watch replay after replay of Hulk's goal of, of confusion and sadness? Um, so I was at the beach over the weekend, and while
2: most of us stuck to liquor, there was a run to the store to buy some beers, um, but everyone, the people, half the people that bought beer left it behind after they left, and the other person that purchased some beer didn't want to carry his home, so I carried the remaining four beers, um, or, well, three beers, because what I'm drinking is actually a small town brewery of, uh, let me look the side because I've never heard of them, uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Uh, it's not your father's root beer. It's a alcoholic root beer. It's not a little alcoholic, either it is 5.9%, um, but it tastes like a pretty decent root beer, uh, which makes it an extremely dangerous drink, because you can't tell that you're drinking an alcohol. Um,
0: it's not bad. Uh, I'm surprised by it. I actually read a, uh, a an article recently about the rise of uh, boozy root beer, and mm-hmm. Not Your Father's, I think, was, was one of them that was, that was name-checked that might have sold a stake to a, a larger um, okay. brewer, so that they could, you know, expand operations and and get into more places. So uh, look for look for more boozy root beers. I think Sam Adams actually is has made one and yeah. is going to be starting to distribute it soon. So the that's a, we that's had a extra- thing.
2: The only reason we had extras is that the person that bought it, uh, she decided that she wanted it to taste a little more boozy and less like just a straight root beer and was like, I'm not necessarily a fan. So she just left it in the downstairs fridge and the rest of us picked away at it until there was one bottle left, which came home with me. Excellent.
0: I have gone uh, somewhat more traditional for this show, which is not to say it's a traditional beer at all. I'm drinking Flying Dog's wonderful Dead Rise Old Bay Summer Ale because summer just won't quit, it seems like. And as much as I want it to be September, um, it, it feels more like July here in D.C. So,
1: But it is September, Adam.
0: Yeah, yeah tell that to the weather, dude, because I don't but, believe but, it. But But it is. All evidence seems to point... To the contrary. The calendar says.
2: We don't really get September weather until like the second half of September. And then yeah. it's really nice until Halloween. And then and immediately a, it's immediately bad again. That's true. It's if, like the best six weeks of the year.
1: If this year's spring is any indication, we won't have any fall. And it'll <laughs> it'll be summer until October and then immediately into snow.
0: It, it's basically going to be that bit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yep. Yeah. Someone's going to have to eat Robin's Minstrels. I already ate dinner. So did I. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. It looks like you. Nom, nom, nom. And Ben ate Robin's Minstrels, and there was much rejoicing. Yeah. All right, let's get to the soccer. Thank you guys for picking up what I was putting down. Hey, we didn't script that, everyone, believe it or not. <laughs>
2: We actually completed a bit without someone pulling the rug out from under it, and someone usually being me.
0: Until Jason decided to pull the rug out from under it after the fact. That was, that was some pretty solid retroactive rug pulling, Jason. It's, it wouldn't be filibuster if there wasn't me
2: taking taking the, the bit apart and then exposing its, its assembled
0: parts. Yeah, it wouldn't be us if we didn't immediately ruin whatever joke had just... We'd just succeeded. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, the U.S. men's national team, despite doing their damnedest to lose by multiple goals in the first half, the U.S. came back to beat Peru 2-1 at RFK Stadium, thanks to a Josie Altidore brace. First one came on a rebound of his own penalty, and uh the second one came... God, I'm actually blanking on the second one... Um, Anyway, Josie scored two. Uh, The story of this one, though, wasn't really out It was the change in form once the U.S. decided to up the pressure on the ball. The the first half, they sat back very, very deep, very deep back line, and Peru just picked them apart. Ben, you were there. Um, I was. I I can't imagine you were having that good of a time in the first half, especially surrounded by Peruvian fans chanting Olay. Ole. Because there were a lot of Peruvians in the house.
1: There were a lot of Peruvians in the house. I was on the uh, nominal loud side, uh, at least for a DC United game. And the American Outlaws were also on the same side as me. And it was still probably 60% Peru fans on that side. And they were well interspersed through the uh, through the American Outlaws. And when they tried to get Chance going, they... Uh, there were just dead zones because there were fans interspersed throughout the entirety. But yeah, the first half was was bad from a U.S. perspective. Like you said, the uh, U.S. decided to sit back and absorb pressure for some reason. And in both the in all of the iterations of the U.S. M.N.T., whether it be the Bruce Arena iteration, whether it be the uh, Bob Bradley iteration, whether it be the Jurgen Klinsmann iteration. The plan is never sit back and then don't counter, which seemed to be the United States' plan in the first half of this game. Uh, sit back and counter, sure. High press and then try to possess, sure. But sit back and not counter is has never been a strategy that succeeds in things. And it didn't succeed in a, the first half against Peru, and they deserve to be down. and Probably
0: uh, deserve to be down by more than one goal.
1: Yeah, that too. And... I mean, Peru is an okay South American team, but it's a team that the United States should probably beat on a regular basis if they want to ascend to the next level. Peru is in the, what, third tier of South American nations, basically. I mean, there's only 11 of them, so it's basically the bottom tier of South American nations when it comes to international soccer. And this, you just can't, that, that's just unacceptable. Uh, even for a first half, when you're trying to when you're nominally preparing for a uh, inter, one game international playoff that determines who goes to the Confederations Cup,
0: yeah, it was it was not fun to watch on TV either. Um, when they turned the pressure up though and started actually pressing uh, as a unit with a higher back line, Peru looked like they didn't know what hit them and they never really adjusted to it, um, and and. Somehow, despite deserving to be down by multiple goals at halftime, they came out deserved winners. So go figure.
1: Well, um, I, and I, I'll just add in again about the second half. What is it with the USMNT with playing their best fullback, their best center backs as fullbacks? I mean, Tim Rean and Jeff Cameron probably would have been a better starting center back pairing than. Elmar uh, Gonzalez and Ventura Alvarado.
0: Yeah, tell that to Klinsman, who seems pretty well convinced that Ventura Alvarado is one of his best two full center backs uh, so, at this somehow, point. Somehow, and I think he Klins- said as much on the record. Klinsmann
1: Klinsman is flying in his helicopter. I can't like leap up there to try and speak words of wisdom into his ears.
0: Are you saying that his his soccer knowledge is so far above all of ours that that we can't? We can't even no, mess with him because he's on no, another no, level. Because that's what no, he would say.
1: That, that is, that is what he would say. What, what I am saying is that he's physically in a helicopter and I cannot physically reach him to yell in his ears.
0: Well, I think actually he's on the ground just in Foxborough, Massachusetts.
1: Or he's in another plane a la... It, maybe he's a time lord and he's in a different timeline from us and so we can't communicate him because he's uh, jumping back and forth. Uh, he... He's one second time. out of
0: he's he's one second out of sync with with reality, and so we can't see him or interact. Probably with him. a
1: little, probably a little more than that, but yes,
0: he's made of dark matter. I do want to say it's about time the U.S. turned on a high pressure defensive system, considering that's what Klinsman's been promising from day one, more than four years ago, um, that he would play a proactive style that that seeks to take the game to opponents, and even though the U.S didn't have any more possession in the second half than they did in the first half, it was obvious that they were in control of the game. They were dictating where Peru was playing, and they were driving at the opponent's net. It was it was so much better to watch. Uh, I do want to point out, and, and Jason, I wonder if this is a valid point, that, that Klintz's recent friendly wins, the big ones in, in Europe over the Netherlands, and uh, Germany, the... One against Peru,
1: which were a long time ago now.
0: Well, yeah, but but I do wonder whether it's valid to point out that all these wins that Clinzy and his supporters like to point at and hang their hats on, the the winning goals and even the tying goals, because a lot of these came from losing, from came from behind to win, all came after both teams started using substitutes liberally. And it didn't really resemble a competitive soccer match anymore because neither team was playing anything like a coherent system anymore at the end. And in the cases of Europe, a lot of youth players and B-team, C-team players were coming on. Is, it worth, is that a valid point that these wins came after lots and lots of substitutions? And oh, that, it- that, I think it draws some, some of the luster off. It it
2: it absolutely does. I mean, the patterns of play that that you work on all week break down when you make six substitutions. Um, those players are behind the rhythm of the game. Um, some of them, in some cases, haven't been working with the first team group um, in your inner inner squad games at at you know in training. Um, they're working on different things. Some of those guys maybe only have 30 minutes of fitness. There could be an injury issue. There's any number of things happening where. You make a bunch of subs, the game sort of breaks down and loses the structure that both teams have sort of settled into, and it, st- it starts to become more about individuals. And it's nice that the individual players of the U.S. stepped up and, and you know produced some goals, but you have to put them in context, and the context is when Germany and the Netherlands especially... Both of those teams are sort of like, well, this is kind of a crazy game, but we're we're pretty much done with it as terms of in terms of what we're going to learn out of it. And the U.S. meanwhile, you know, it's great in a friendly, you know, and in in any game you want to go on and win if you can. So go on and pursue the win. It's great, but um, don't pretend that beating Germany after they've pretty much turned off and the Netherlands who are about to be eliminated from. Euro qualifying by mighty Iceland. Um, So, you know, when those teams turn it off and are sending in random guys, they're giving a game, you know, a a few minutes to just to see what happens or to reward, maybe what they brought them in to see what would happen in training and are now rewarding them for working hard, um, which happens in a lot of friendlies. Um, All of that uh, kind of factors in to say, well, yeah, you know what? This wasn't that big of a deal. Um, Peru, not not on that level by any stretch of the imagination, but um, it's a friendly, and that's why the the U.S. is a great reckoned friendlies because we maybe don't know how to turn it off, um, which is a good thing at times um, to be hyper competitive to that point. You're going to win more being that way, but it also kind of means that you're going to end up with some some wins that look a little better than they actually are, and there's a reason why we're scoring four goals or three goals in in Europe against big teams like Germany and the Netherlands, and then struggling badly against Haiti. Um, and that happened. That's happened this calendar year. Um, and it's because the difference between a competitive game and a friendly is major. And I would much rather the U.S. win the Gold Cup and get clobbered playing random European friendlies than the other way around. But uh, I, I guess at this point, if you're trying to... Defend Klinsmann. You have to fall back on friendly wins because in real games, they tend to get badly outshot, um, bat, you know, forced to play entirely in their own end, or entirely reliant on goalkeeping. Um, which, you know, heaven forbid, we get to the day where one of our good goalkeepers is unavailable and one of Klinsmann's uh, inexplicable next choices comes in because he's <laughs> choosing wrong every time. Um, because then we'll see that you know it's not a bottomless supply of good goalkeepers. Um, just, just wait till Sean Johnson starts in the 2018 World Cup. I, I would be fine with that so long as it's not William Yarborough. I'm, I'm willing to, you know, I, I'm already at the, like, concession stage of dealing with it
0: where you, I'm like, you're okay. You're already bargaining, yeah.
2: Yeah, just, just <laughs> please no Yarborough. He's not even starting in Mexico. He's not even starting there. And uh, even if he were, he's still not better than. I mean, if, if I were, I mean, Bobby Shuttleworth is in uh, New England. Could he come out? He's better than Yarborough. Um, and he's starting for his club, which is supposedly important, but you know what Klinsman says doesn't necessarily translate to action.
0: Well he usually does, just the opposite of what he says. If Clinsman right. says something, there's a very good chance he means the opposite of it. Uh, he says the word bummer a lot, and I feel like he is the bummer. And that's where <laughs> I'll end I'll end on that. Uh the US, despite <laughs> Jeff Cameron and DeAndre Yedlin insisting on passing to players in yellow shirts. The U.S. have not conceded another goal yet. Uh, We'll see if that's still the case when we come back from this quick break. Uh, Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, yeah. And you never, ever use the term correctly?
1: Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly.
0: Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do.
1: Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them?
0: Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet.
2: Uh, Fine.
0: So Ehrlich Law Office, it's a it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their their main proprietor. Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their their attorneys, Ben. Uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and and other places. So guys, for a free consultation, go to EhrlichLawOffice dot com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now to talk about DC United. Who are on their way to Colorado right now. Well, not right now, but figuratively right now. Shut up. You don't know me. They're going to Colorado this week. Maybe if you had put an Oxford comma there, it would have been more clear. There was no opportunity for an Oxford comma and no clarity to be added at all. There was not a list. D.C. United are going to Colorado on Saturday for game, 9 p.m. on Comcast Sportsnet, Mid-Atlantic, and MLS Live, the Rapids right now... um, well outside of the playoffs in the Western Conference, uh, they have a midweek game to try to gain some ground on the rest of the West at Vancouver, uh, which doesn't look like a great opportunity for them. But they do go into it on a three-game winning streak, most recently winning at home over the Sporks Sporting Kansas City two to one. Um, I, ben, they are their season is basically DC United's in reverse. It seems like they kind of travel along despite some really promising players. They travel along at the bottom of the West until recently a three game winning streak. On the other side, DC United, despite a roster of MLS retreads, as some people would call them, uh, well in first place in the East until recently when a three game losing streak all of a sudden has them in jeopardy of falling out of that top spot. What what's going on? Why why is this
1: happening? I mean, it's it's MLS. Uh, weird things are going to happen. Uh, DC United had a string of inexplicably good results in March and April, and they, it came back to bite. The karma came back to bite them uh, here in uh, August, and so it probably balanced out. Uh, that said, they should still beat the Colorado Rapids who are inexplicably still coached by Pablo Mastroeni, uh, who, despite all reason and sense, has won a couple of games. He decides not to play any of his good players and or sell them to Cyprus, where they can be loaned then from Cyprus to uh, other teams in Europe. And it it's just a bizarre situation. Ever since... Uh, they've just been a bizarre team for... A a decade probably. I mean, Gary Smith wins them a MLS Cup in 2010, and probably the worst MLS Cup of all time. And since Oscar Pareja left to go to FC Dallas, they've been awful. And they're just a bizarre team in a bizarre location playing bizarre soccer. And
0: uh, how bizarre.
1: There's, there, there, How bizarre! How bizarre! There's nothing. There's nothing that makes any sense about them. Jason has anything
0: fundamental changed for them for these last three games? Or are they still very squarely in the group of the three worst run teams in MLS this year?
2: Uh, they are pretty badly run still. Um, these have been decent results. Um, but they're still. The Rapids are still kind of a mess when you watch them. They're still playing a lineup where they have four center backs on the field. Um, two of them are masquerading as as fullbacks, but um, the Rapids have, I think, it, nine it or. It bears ten. noting
0: that the U.S. men's national team right now is playing a very similar system <laughs> with four center backs on the field. But, two of them pretending to be but, fullbacks.
2: But now imagine if the U.S. bench also featured three more center backs uh and and tomorrow, like in the next game, all of these players will be switched out for somebody else um it the rapids are just sort of uh, i don't know that they know what they're doing um Masteroni appears big on rotation for i I like to imagine that it's for like motivational reasons you know a player gets dropped because they've won that game to sort of jar them into focus or maybe everyone gets a shot at being on the field. So no one feels left out and, and apathetic towards playing. The problem is when you rotate constantly is it, your players don't get into any kind of rhythm. Um, no one trusts and it, There's no stability. There's no one trusting that they're going to be there and focused on that. They're always worried about, am I going to stay on the field or not? Um, it's not a good long-term strategy and the Rapids are in where they are in the standings as a result. Um, as far as what they've changed of late, uh, uh, Kevin Doyle is scoring some goals now. Um, I think he's up to four since he came over, and he wasn't—he hasn't been there the whole season, so that's—he's uh, starting to find his legs, I guess. Um, that's Marcelo Sarvas missed some games; he's back now, that helps them. Um, but really, it's uh, Clint Irwin has been playing well, but. Uh, they're just they're not a good team their their place in the standings, if anything over inflates their abilities because they they really are a mess um their signings don't make sense uh Ben alluded to Shane O'Neill, who was uh, an available center back that they just did not have any
0: interest in using somehow um he's gone Dylan Serna. instead they signed uh sean saint ledger
2: right uh who was ill-disciplined in Orlando and not good enough for D.C. United. But if you've got a guy that's probably going to start for the U.S. Olympic team, you should at least be interested in, like, keeping him around as your third guy, your third center back. But instead the Rapids treated him as, like, a nuisance uh, and someone that was, like, the worst player on the team and got rid of him. And I'm pretty sure that every other MLS team would have been happy to accept him on their roster.
1: It it would have been, like, a Kofi Opari-esque trade.
2: Right, uh, but instead... It's not, it's not better. Right, so instead Colorado's done things like uh, Drew Moore has played every defensive position this season. Um, he could have been playing left back and made room for Shane O'Neill at right back, even if you want to get into the world of any decisions. Um, you could do that just to get the kid on the field, but instead they got rid of him. Dylan Serna will play well and then won't be heard from for weeks. Uh... Or be played in the middle and then get injured when he's clearly a wide man. Um it following the Rapids this season, following their lineup choices, is it's just constantly a source of confusion and um amusement. They're just they're strange. Um and <laughs> their their lack of their 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 three-game winning streak is in and of itself strange, but at this point it's almost like trying to solve the rapids, trying to understand what why things are happening for them. Uh, Is just it's beyond me. I do I will note that um, since the our our friends at the Burgundy Wave changed their account their, their Twitter account to Beige Wave to re, re, uh, represent the boring Colorado Rapids games, the Rapids have won three games in a row, um, of which almost seems natural at this point because it's like well of course uh, a, a joke on Twitter would prod the team into success. Uh, they're still boring. They're still going to be conservative, though. Don't don't get me wrong. This this game might be almost certainly is going to be
1: ugly. So wait, are, are you saying how do you solve a problem like Pablo? I, I'm saying that how do you solve a problem like the Colorado Rapids?
2: Because um, I don't know that they're the people above Pablo Mestre know what, know what to do, um, other than sign players who have Premier League experience, whether or not they're any good, or whether or not they're in their mid thirties. Um they're you know Vicente Sanchez has come in on the right and has helped them succeed, but is also i think thirty five or thirty six at this point, and mostly what they're succeeding at is set pieces rather than playing soccer that succeeds so uh yeah the, the rapids are strange to say the least, they should trade us Dylan powers,
0: clearly they should trade us Dylan powers um and we will in exchange for Dylan Powers, we will offer them the the wisdom that is, grow the damn mustache back, Pablo, Pablo Mastroni, The most interesting thing about the Rapids was your mustache, and you got rid of it, which if, is completely actually uh, in character for for him getting rid of something interesting and good.
2: To what, what if
0: we trade instead. them? A, what if we
2: trade them a draft pick and then give them a lead on a center back that's playing college soccer this year? Like this is a guy you should draft, guys. Center back. And they'll be very excited about it because we, know,
1: we could we could still pretend to have the rights to Connor Shinofsky and trade them that.
0: No, he's too young. We should give them uh Dan Yakovich's agent's number. Yeah, that that see
2: oh, I, no, would no. Bad, I would feel bad for Shinosky sending him out to the rapids.
1: What about what about Kerry Talley?
2: I think Mastrooni will remember will say, Oh, wait a minute, I played with that guy. He that can't be. I think that I think the thing is just to find a center back that maybe an already professional player and just say, look, this is a center back. You could sign one. I think <laughs> he you. hung it up because he was already 38 and injured. Pablo doesn't,
1: Pablo doesn't know that.
2: He probably knows something. He knows things. It's just the, the product at the end is still confused. Like it's funny to hear him talk about the game because he uh, sounds like somebody who knows what's going on. And we know he can play at a high level in a mentally demanding position but his way of managing a team is just, it's very unconventional, but also bad. Like, unconventional oh. can be good, but this is just unconventional for Strange.
1: Also, let's remember, this is this is the team in MLS that is still employing and starting Mark Birch. They haven't started him since they brought in Maynor Figueroa. Okay, um, but they've started but him this year.
2: It, it did take signing signing him to push Birch out, and Birch has been preferred to Michael Harrington when...
0: The option has been there, which is by itself kind of nuts. Mark Birch, people. We had some questions from the Twitter box tonight. One of them is about Colorado's midweek game. Uh, Shane, who is at NKyMion, E-N-K-Y-M-I-O-N, on Twitter asks us, at FilibusterDCU, will Colorado prioritize that midweek game at Vancouver? over the D.C. United game, and, and what effect will that have? Jason, what do you think? Well, I, I think it's pretty clear that Colorado will will probably have a little something extra for that Vancouver game. It's in conference. Um, even if they're on the road, it's more important to their, their final standings, potentially, than the game against D.C. United. But at the same time, they need every point they can get to catch up to get into that sixth spot in the West. So... You said earlier that Pablo Masterani is really big on rotation for rotation's sake. Um, does this game on Wednesday really have any effect at all on, on the weekend's game? I
2: probably will have an effect. The problem is that he rotates so much that it's hard to say what the effect will be. Um, Mark Birch. I feel confident in saying that I would expect certain players to just start again. Um, probably probably Sarvas. Um, probably Sam Cronin, just due to no, I can't actually I can't even say that because Lucas Piatonara was injured for a while and came back against he played ten minutes against Colorado or against Kansas City and now has, uh he's had a, a little bit of time to build on that so he might start one of these games instead of Cronin as their number six. Um, I can tell you that Dylan Powers probably won't start both games because Masterny tries his hardest not to start Dylan Powers. Um, which is utterly inexplicable. Um, Sanchez probably can't start both games, and since Vancouver is on turf, I imagine they'll hold him out of that one. Um, they'll try and... I, I would I would guess, and like I've said, guessing with Mastroni is already a loser's game, um, but I would guess that Sanchez is held out unless they need a goal and they send him in for 15 or 20 minutes in Vancouver, and then we have to play him from the start because of his age. Um but other than that, I mean, Kevin Doyle is probably going to start. Um, Figueroa is pro- will probably start. Um, assuming – is he away on um, – he may be away with Honduras. No, he's not. So, yeah, he'll probably start. Um, but, yeah, other than that, it's it's kind of a grab bag because they've been so unpredictable uh, and so many players have been benched for no reason or for a reason that is unknown to the general public. So, uh, it. I don't really envy um, DC's coaching staff trying to scout for this game because, in all honesty, it's hard to scout Colorado because they're so they. It's hard. To, it, it's hard to scout them on an individual level. As a team, they tend to do the same thing no matter what. No matter who plays, it's just a matter of what individuals are going to be out there in those those roles. Um, so game planning them on a one-on-one perspective is kind of difficult. But fortunately, they do sort of play the same soccer all the time, and it actually kind of plays into D.C.'s hands a little bit. They're, uh, I think, 16th or 17th in the league in terms of the percentage of their shots inside the box. And since D.C. United's whole game plan defensively is predicated on keeping teams outside of the box, you would imagine that Bill Hamid's going to see a lot of challenged, uh, difficult, long-range shots because Colorado already is prone to doing that anyway. Um, so that's a positive. But That's as, assuming as the
0: defensive as, game plan goes more to plan. Right, it so it yeah,
2: that's the true. Weeks. Um, United will have to improve uh, to make sure that Colorado's pronounced tendencies are actually what they follow through on because um, they are going to be desperate. They probably are going to, I would imagine, be a little more open than they normally are. But as far as the lineup, it's going to be a pretty difficult one to predict. There's going to be a lot of players that could play. Be- and the thing is, he doesn't just switch players. He also switches their positions. Um, so someone like Powers has played on the right, on the left, and in the middle. Sorvas has played defensive midfield and attacking midfield. Um, Louis Solignac, when he was healthy, played on the wing and then up front and then on the wing. Um, yeah, you never really know what they're going to do. Maybe that's the idea is to just be unpredictable, but at a certain point it's, it's becomes it, it has
0: long since become a problem for Colorado. Another question from the Twitter box comes from Scott Waldman, who is at stwaldman on Twitter, asks us at filibuster DCU: Is it time to panic? I feel like I should be panicking. Uh, three losses in a row in the league. Um, the Red Bulls have games in hand to overtake, more than overtake the point difference uh, DC United has over them. Is this Ben? Is is it time to panic? And if United don't get a result in this game, then will it be time to panic?
1: I don't think it's time to panic. I mean, no, DC, I DC, so. United, DC United could clinch a playoff spot this weekend, so let's let's just remember that. And I mean, it's still over a month and a half, and over a month and a half until the season ends. I mean, yes, we would like. It, I mean, it, we would like DC United to be winning the Eastern Conference, and then putting themselves up for a good run into the playoffs, but there's no, there's basically no chance they fall out of the playoffs. There's basically no chance they fall out of the top three. Uh, it's not time to panic. It's time to be disappointed, especially if they lose this game. It's definitely time to be disappointed, and it's time for Olsen to rethink things, but panic is a little strong. Panic is what we had in twenty twenty thirteen, twenty uh ten, even twenty eleven, down the stretch in twenty eleven. There's some uh, there's some panic there. But this year, I don't think panic is the right the right emotion. We talked last uh, and, week. Oh go ahead,
2: Jason. I was just gonna say we we heard uh from Stephen Streff uh earlier today in his piece that Fabiano Spindola will be back, he'll be playing against Colorado um, Olsen I believe said good to go is the phrase he used so um, if United is playing with a spindula and has had two weeks to work on their issues and then plays badly um, then you know I wouldn't say panic but I would say like if we have the, the equivalent of the nuclear uh, the end of the world clock that goes with nuclear war I would say maybe you want to move it one, one minute closer to midnight but uh right panic, panic not yet but you know we're and then,
1: getting close to the time where you should start considering panicking, and we exclusively heard that on uh, Black and Red United today.
0: <laughs> we talked last week about some possible tactical adjustments Ben Olsen maybe should be considering, maybe centered around Michael Farfan uh, switching up to the four-one-three-two that that worked so well in uh, in Vancouver when DC United went there and won. Jason. Having thought about it for a week, do you still want to see that come come Saturday, and do you think that Colorado and their fourth is a good candidate to play it against?
2: Uh, I think Colorado's a good team to play it against because they're already – they have a tendency to be conservative, and they also have a tendency to play kind of narrow. Um, unlike our next game after Colorado, which is against Columbus, Columbus wants to play very wide open. They want to get, uh, you know, touchline touch touchline – really spread teams out. The Rapids are very conservative. They're a very guarded team. Um, they do tend to keep a lot of possession at home, but it's it's a lot of it is about defending uh, and keeping the ball just out of um, a way to protect yourself. And the other thing is that they've fallen behind a lot, so they've ended up with more of the ball because a lot of MLS teams take the lead and then get defensive. Um, I think with the narrowness that the Rapids tend to play with, the lack of width, as we discussed, their fullbacks... Figueroa has played plenty of left back but he's also played plenty of center back and he's the only sort of appropriate fullback that they're going to start most likely um I say most likely like I didn't just completely undermine that before but um they're not going to have a lot of dangerous width um even their wide players that will be playing in the midfield are tending are more likely to come inside so uh I would say this is a good a good game to try it out because United can get away with a little bit of a concession defensively and try and win this game by getting getting out in front scoring a goal and then making the Rapids try and deal with the fact that they're just not a high scoring team they're one of the lowest scoring teams in MLS um they're pretty reliant at home on non goals other than open play they're not a team that tends to score a bunch from or without set pieces and penalty kicks and things like that So, I think United can take a little bit of a risk and try and get the lead in this game. And we've seen them go on the road before and surprise teams a little with a little more aggressive, a little more of an aggressive game plan, and then settle back in to defend from there rather than defend and defend and defend and then hope for the best. Because I think the Rapids are a team where you kind of want to take their legs out from under them early rather than let them start to feel good about themselves. Um, and, and the other thing is, if you're aggressive in this game, their tired legs from playing midweek, is, they're going to show up. A li- it's going to be a little more pronounced in the last 30 minutes, and since United's playing at altitude, you kind of want something to mitigate that. Um, United's going to get tired as the game wears on, so if you can tire the Rapids out a little bit by making them defend a lot, it, it, that the, the obvious display of fatigue won't be so obvious um, with dealing with the altitude. It also helps to not have an even game or be behind a goal in the last 30 minutes in Colorado. It's a bad idea in general. Um, you play, you know, go get the game, go score the goals while you've got the legs to do it. So I think from a lot of fronts, I prefer to see that, but I'm almost more focused... I, I, really, I'm just more focused on playing, like, a coherent game of soccer, first and foremost. Um and if that's out of the four four two, if that's the structure that that has done the best in practice, then so be it. Um, but whatever is going to get them back on course and back playing smart soccer and not being so naive defensively and and uh, so prone to giveaways in, in bad moments, then I'll take it. If it's a back five, I don't, I don't, I don't really care.
0: please so, don't play a back five. <laughs> <laughs> please don't play a back five, Ben. Uh, if we don't see Farfan against Colorado, I imagine we will see him on Tuesday against Arabe Unido. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this game a little bit, even though we will record another show between now and then, just because I think a lot of you guys won't listen to that show. It won't come out until the day of that game. So so let's go ahead and preview Arabe uh, Unido our, a little our bit. Our stats disprove that, Adam. <laughs> a lot of people will, and we'll, we can talk about it again next week. Don't, don't throw numbers at me, Ben. Come on. Maths. Don't, don't undermine me on dur- during the podcast. That's all I ask. That's my job. We
2: fought a war not to have to say maths when it, it's just math.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have so <laughs> many different conversations happening at the same time right now. Goats! Ben, what do you want to see against Arabe Unido?
1: I want to see the same lineup we've seen. I want to see the backups. Uh, I, I mean, I want to see some of the backups transition into the first team, uh, specifically Michael Farfan and Miguel Aguilar. But if they don't feature over the weekend, which I don't expect them to, uh, I want to see them start. I want to see them play well. I want to see them play with the rest of the backups because I want to see the uh, majority of the starters get rested again. Uh, I want to see some Chris Pontius, uh against Arabe Unido. I want to. Despite everything, I I still think he can. He is a useful piece, and I want to, I want to eventually see him get kicked back into gear. And where to uh, use a
0: where use a Ben Olsen phrase there? Yeah, yeah, he's a real piece for us.
1: Yeah, he is. Um, and I mean, giving him time is only, especially in the CCL, is only going to benefit United. There's no downside, and the only and if he gets back to even a shadow of what, not even what he was in 2012, but even a shadow of what he was in 2012, that's going to be awesome for DC United. Because the team at its highest strength, he's not a starter right now. So if he can be an impact sub for the first team, that's awesome. So I want to see him play well. I want to see Farfan and Aguilar play well. I want to see the starters get rested. And Ben, what do you think? I expect to win. I mean, they've won all of their they've won all of the group ga- group stage games this, thus far. Even with backups, they've proven that they're they can do that, and I expect it to continue.
0: What do you think of the argument that that we've heard from from some of our readers and listeners? In fact, uh-huh. uh, that United should play more of a starter heavy lineup against Arabe Unido, clinch the group, and then go for what will probably be the number two seed with a weaker lineup down in Jamaica against Montego Bay, make sure you get the win and get, go, go for a perfect record because Arabi Unido, I think, is generally considered by most everyone to be the stronger of the two opponents. And so you, you guarantee a win, the thinking goes, by playing the starters or, or more of the starters against them and sure, then sure, but you a, then you have a, a better seed because the Galaxy are gonna they're gonna take the number one overall yeah. seed, it seems like.
1: I mean uh, sure, but Araba Unido is at home, right? It's at RFK.
0: Right. It's our, it's here in so, DC.
1: So you have the luxury of having all of your all of your starters or a number of your starters on the bench ready to jump in at any moment. I mean, obviously, you can't start all of them. You can't bring in all of them, but you can still start a largely reserved lineup, and then you, if it's not going the way you want it in the, uh, in, at the beginning of the second half, you can bring in Fabiana Spindler or Chris Rolfe or Avaro Savarillo at the beginning of the second half because they don't have to travel to Panama or to Jamaica, and you can still give... a most of the players, the rest that they need. So, I, I don't, I don't buy into the to starting a largely starter lineup, and I especially don't think that Ben Olson buys into that. I think Ben Olson will definitely start a highly reserved lineup, like he's proven that he's going to do. And last year, at least, it worked out well. They won all of all of their group stage games last yeah, year. Yeah, yep, perfect um, record. Yeah, so I there's. Nothing in Ben Olsen's record to prove that he shouldn't do exactly what he's been doing. So, yeah, and, six and, games and,
0: so far in in group stage the last two years, and
1: Perfect having ga- six
0: and zero and zero record,
1: and having the game at home especially allows him to have whoever he wants on his bench, and he can bring them in whenever he wants. So I think those com- that combination, he's going to play the backups just like he has, and then he'll have whomever he wants off the bench whenever he needs them.
0: I think that's exactly right, Ben. Jason, what should we expect from Araida Unido in this game?
2: Uh, probably a little more of a defensive outlook. Panamanian teams don't have a good record of going on the road and, and succeeding. Um, so they're definitely going to be more cautious than the team we saw down there where it seemed like every time they got the ball in the midfield, they were trying to put someone through on goal. It was always about scoring a goal as fast as possible um, from whatever that moment was that they received the ball. Um, I don't think we're going to see that. We're going to see more caution um, Two holding midfielders, whether they change formation from 4-4-2 to 4-2-3-1. I still think it's going to be two out-and-out holding midfielders. Um, and I think we're not going to see the fullbacks jump into the attack as much. Um, now, will they stay like that? Probably it depends on the score because they have to win the game to stay alive. If 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 it finishes in a draw, United wins the group. Um, so, which also goes into Ben's argument that they're going to play backups. That they only have to get a draw to clinch the group, and ultimately that matters a lot more than the seeding issue. Which the yeah. seat, the seeding issue won't really. We won't even really know what quality opponent we're playing until next spring because those teams will change things up in the off season.
0: Um. We Valente learned. We was, learned early this year: seeding doesn't matter,
2: right? You know, Alavalence improved vastly in the off season because they were in the Champions League, not because they were the eighth seed, but because they were in that. They had that game, and that was enough. Um, so I'm not really that concerned about the seed as much as I am. Just you know, the league is going to take importance, especially given the position United is in, where they have they have not lose a home game to a team that they are very much superior to. Um, and a team that is known for not traveling very well internationally. Uh, so I, I think the main thing for United is they're going to have to deal with a team that's that's bunkered in. They're going to have to open them up. Um, Miguel Aguilar becomes very important at that point because he's going to stretch the field. He's going to be able to dribble, dribble past a layer of defense and break things open a little bit. Um, and that that's really important. I think Hira um, Arieta should be looked at to have a good game because I think Arabe is going to play deep which means he's not going to have the opportunity to run offside as much, Um, which is always good. When he's not running offside, he tends to be making pretty dangerous runs. And when teams defend deep against Arrieta, they're going to find more of a problem because now they're not catching him offside. And that's kind of the main way MLS teams deal with him is like, well, let's just catch him offside because he will do that. Um, But Arabe has had a long history of you go on the road, defend deep, look to try and win the game on a set piece or – um, look to provoke uh, some unpleasantness and get your opponent down a man um, that's something United's going to have to look out for because this is the Champions League things tend to get ugly a lot um, we're going to see some pushing some some kicking people after the play, some refereeing that makes everyone upset um, so I would expect definitely a, it's a difficult match because it's always difficult to break down a bunkering team of professionals um, but it's still a game that United backups should win. It. They should win a little more comfortably than they did down in Panama because they've the, the game is really going to set up for them to focus on knocking the ball around and waiting for an opening and taking advantage of it rather than having to defend so many attempts at a killer ball from midfield over and over again.
0: Anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap up tonight?
2: Uh, I would say go to the beach if you get the chance.
0: Or to the mountains. Yeah, the mountains are nice. Basically go to California where they have both in close no, proximity. Uh
1: no, don't do that. That's
0: far. California is nice sometimes. Yeah, but Virginia also has nice mountains. But not near the beach. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter, at filibusterdcu, at U. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, we accept hate mail, and we accept advertising inquiries. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. Uh, Tell a friend about the show. You'll have our eternal thanks and gratitude. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Thank you again to our sponsor. Say goodbye, Jason.
2: Goodbye, Atrocoma.